Sometimes people ask me, or quite often people ask me, particularly when people who have been practicing for a while and meditating for a while, they ask me something like that in different variation. You know, I'm meditating and I understand all everything, but you know, nothing changes. I'm still afraid and I'm still anxious and I still have the spirits of depression and feel low and what's wrong? What's wrong with me? This reflection is taken view on practice. If you are in this for feeling better, then that is a mistaken view on practice. This is not a feeling better project. (laughs) And it's really true. I'm not saying that as a trick like, yeah, then you let go of your resistance and then it will go away. It's not like that. And it's amazing how we don't, and I, and I, I mean, I have said it this weekend, and Ken McLeod says it again and again, and somehow we don't hear it. Because the wish in us, obviously, <coughs> I mean, that's understandable, is so strong. I want to get rid of this. I want to get rid of who I am and what I feel. And this is much more radical. So be aware of the uh, of uh, of, and it's really understandable. I mean, it's not you know. Don't tell yourself now, oh, I should not want to feel better because <laughs> of course you want to feel better. Yeah, it's human. It's human, and and uh, you know, some people you know. Some people' lives really sucks even more than the one you have. It really sucks. And if if I could take it away, I would do it. And you would also. So the practice is about exploring radical different ways to relate to your experience as it is <coughs> and then sometimes but there's no guarantee sometimes changing that changing the way you relate to physical pain for example sometimes then 
things subjectively get better. Yeah, so, but that's a side effect. It's a side effect of the practice. It's not why we practice. <coughs> so, what, there's nothing wrong with you if you know, if you if you are after ten years of meditation, uh, if you are still if you're still an anxious person or you're still you still have the chronic pain in your lower back or you know whatever it is i mean or you still can't sleep i mean it's 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 all this question people come with and what they what they say what they actually say is oh please help me to get rid of this <coughs> Maybe it's it's something you need to carry in this life, and you are very good at it. So we don't know the you know the, the network and the condition how things come together. Yeah, from the Buddhist point of view, it's not happening out of chance. It's not like a punishment or. It's your job. It's what what you are here to do, to, to live <coughs> this life, to live this body, to work with your experience. And then if we let go of this idea that we need to be productive and that the worth of our life depends on how many good things we do or you know how many books we write or how many children we have, you know, if we let go of all of that then you can cultivate a pride and a dignity within within the way you work with the challenge of your life, the challenge of your inner life, the challenge of your outer life. And then you start to see that it is all empty. You know, maybe, maybe this sense of you know being locked in a certain psychological condition or outer condition is actually good because at one point you might have no other choice than seeing that everything is empty, that there's nobody here suffering. I mean, you get so you get so tired of the whole thing, and. And you like, like, this is the one thing now. This is the one thing. There's nobody here who's suffering. I can't find myself. I can't. I can't find the person who has a problem. the commentary of Ken McLeod and 
see how he reminds you that the practice is not about feeling better and being more successful in a worldly sense. That does not mean that's, that we do whatever it is whatever possible to improve the inner and outer condition. So we do need to make life more difficult than it, than it is already. So next time when you come with a question like this, <coughs> what will I say? <laughs> ah, it always depends, of course, because sometimes, sometimes the answer needs to be more on the fixing, controlling side. Yeah, because that's, that's the most compassionate thing to say and to do in that moment. But if it's really something chronic in, the, in that way, where, where there's a sense that uh, there might be not like uh, an easy solution, uh, then, <coughs> then, then the direction one needs to go is uh, radical love. Radical love of what is. And, and this radical love is the Buddhist radical love, which means this radical love at the same time sees that things don't exist. When I say don't exist, I don't mean it in the nihilistic sense, that things don't exist in the way they appear. So it's it, this radical love it looks into the reality of things. That's why it can be so radical. A love who does not see the emptiness of things can't be really radical because I mean nobody can nobody can open his or her heart to even the pain of one person. It's too much if you take it seriously. Serious. Seriously, in the sense, of course you take it seriously, because it exists. But on the other hand, you don't take it serious. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> you take it serious, but not personal. Maybe you could put it like that. Mm -hmm. 
We take it serious, but not personal. Is it because uh, one have understood that it's possible to be with pain? That one can uh, have the trust that others would could do the same? Could do the same. Yeah, it's... Um, it's it's growing from your own experience, but also uh, because it's combined with the insight into emptiness. Uh, but also, you you have seen people who have done this, mm-hmm. even people with uh, with kind of apparently more difficult mm-hmm. circumstances. With, but know, the same principle, I mean, even if it's more difficult for other people, yeah. it's the same principle how it works. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So if if you let's say you you have, you meet uh, masters Tibetans who have been in concentration camps for decades, mm-hmm. and and you you see that they they uh, they manage to do this then that can be like then that is such an inspiration that can be such an inspiration and then of course sometimes I also feel oh, I can't say this now <laughs> Hmm? No, 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 no. I, I then in a situation like this, I can't say this now. I feel, yeah, because uh, it seems to be so cruel. Yeah, but but then you then still one needs to have the the courage or the the confidence to hold that space anyway. It's difficult to hold the space for a person who is truly suffering without falling into the fixing, controlling mode while like trying to make it Make it. I mean, it's it's really understandable that people just helping people just uh, prescribe medication and it's difficult. So if you feel uh, after many years of practice, or oh, I'm still this anxious person and. There's nothing wrong with you. There's also not. not there's also nothing wrong with uh, the practice because the practice was not made for making it go away. It, it was supposed to help you to uh, uh, to relate to your experience in a different way.
So, so yeah, next time when you ask me a question like this, my answer will be, who's having that problem? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have one teacher who always comes to this. And it's so annoying. (laughs) (laughs) So let's... um, Let's go to the... Uh, first on um, patience. It's first twenty seven. <coughs> For bodhisattvas who want to be rich in virtue. A person who hurts you is a precious treasure. Cultivate patience for everyone. Completely free of irritation or resentment. This is the practice of a bodhisattva. It's so important that we hear these kind of verses again and again because it's so easy to forget or to make like exceptions. Of course, we have heard these verses and these teachings, but I think we have to. You know, that's why you read this, uh, the, the, these verses like you know for the rest of your life. You go back so as a reminder, and and then when when you read it, then. Then you like ah yeah yeah oh I'm sorry I forget I forgot I made an exception because my, my neighbor is you know that's a different cut it's a completely different thing I mean this is like a nice spiritual first but my neighbor he is real I mean it's real life this is like yeah it's nice to read this and feel a bit inspired by it you know but my neighbor is real life this is not real life cultivate patience for everyone person who hurts you is a precious treasure. This is one of the main instructions within the Lojong teachings. So let's explore this a bit more because yeah, it's of course a very important theme for us and there's many traps within that practice. And one trap is Maybe I can say that in the beginning is uh, because you are afraid of expressing anger and standing up, 
you use this to follow your neurotic mind. It's called spiritual bypassing. Oh, it's so nice, now I don't need to learn to stand up and speak up and set boundaries and say no, because I'm really scared shit to express my needs, but now this is spiritual. <laughs> so the, the, the necessary spiritual development for you to become a mature adult is a bypassed by by a teaching like this so you make like you jump you jump you try to jump into a place yeah. of patience while bypassing that necessary step which is you need to learn to express your needs and put boundaries and that's one of the most scary things to do so it's much lighter, much <laughs> easier to imagine uh, to be a, to, to imagine a kind of fake patience. It's not real patience. It's a, it's a kind of fake patience because it's underlined by fear. Mm. The fake patience is is underlined by fear. <clears throat> What is uh, for us as Buddhist practitioners an obstacle within this exploration is that sometimes in the traditional teachings we get this uh, information that it is really bad to be angry. So forget these teachings for now. It's good for you to be angry. Of course, we, we are not talking about your viciously hurting others. That's obvious. So there is something in this exploration of uh, exploring the difference of a... Of, I don't know what word would be best, but maybe one could say anger and aggression. Like the aggression is the vicious one, and the anger is something wise maybe mm -hmm. you could also use the word other way around I'm not sure but to make some distingu distinguishing maybe you could maybe you could call the healthy one aggression and the vicious one anger I, I don't know but just to have like two different kinds of words two different kinds of categories to be more to, 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 to give some space for exploration What's the difference? Of uh, being firm, being clear, expressing your needs, expressing your boundaries, mm. protecting, yeah, protecting others, speaking up when there's injustice. Also in a relationship, in an intimate relationship, to to be clear and 
uh, to give honest feedback and and so on. So that would be all part of that that healthy part. It's the wisdom aspect of anger, which is the wisdom of clarity in the tantric teaching. It's just like this knowing, this firm knowing, something is wrong and something needs to be said. And if it needs to be said with some force, then I am going to do that. If it's not necessary, of course, then I don't need to uh, put force into it. This is so difficult. Here I'm talking about something, you know, I wish I could do. So I'm, I'm not... Uh, and so little in it. <laughs> so that's a good example of how I like to talk about things I need to learn. So that's an important point. Um, Maybe we can uh, discuss it a bit. Uh, mm, I, 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 I would like to uh, know this uh, this part with uh, a person who hurts you is a precious treasure. Maybe you, you can you can right now imagine some of the people you know which which person in your life would be you know would fall into that category you know, a precious treasure you know, it's 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 those people you wish they would leave your life and. Um, And uh, uh, Ken McLeod starts his commentary with a question, and he says, How serious are you about working through your emotional reactions? So how serious are you about working through your emotional reactions? So that, that means really how, you know, how serious do we take these teachings? And, and maybe you can notice how there is also a resistance to be serious with these teachings because, oh, it's nice to blame others. <coughs> to like them. Like, it's, it's somehow it's nice. It feels nice. It hurts and it's unpleasant also, but somehow we are addicted to it. <coughs> Maybe because it, it can nurture a sense of self-righteousness, a sense of feeling better. I don't know. It's, I, I think there can be all kinds of reasons why, why it's so difficult for us to let go of our um, emotional reactions, our judgments towards others, our anger, our, our contempt, our uh, looking down upon uh, people. There is something addictive to it. Mm. 
uh, one one part of this is that it uh, feeds the sense of I. That's where the I lives from, from emotional drama. So he gives uh, two examples of people who who took this work to, uh, serious. Uh, are you like John of the Cross, the 16th century Spanish mystics? Mystic, after being tortured by the Inquisition, he was pardoned. To redress the injuries injuries done to him, he was given a choice of monasteries in which to live. He chose a monastery whose abbot detested him. When asked why, he replied that he wanted to deepen his practice of patience. <coughs> I go there where the, where, where the abbot does not like me. Detested. Yeah, detested. And then he gives the example of Atisha. Maybe you have read that in the Lamrim teachings. That Atisha, he had this cook. Mm-hmm. And uh, this cook was a horrible person. And he made everyone upset. And uh, Atisha took him on the whole journey through India. And he said, um, yeah, I'm doing that uh, to uh, work on my patients. There's also the story of Gurdjieff. I don't know if you have heard about Gurdjieff. He was a spiritual teacher like 100 years ago in France. He, te- he taught in France. Kind of mindfulness. And, and uh, he had this center close to Paris. And there was this horrible person living in that community. Nobody liked him. And then at one point, uh, Gurdjieff was traveling. And when he came back, the community had uh, um, expelled that person, has, had pushed that person out. And then Gurdjieff says, oh no, no, where is he, where is he? And then he, he traveled after him and he offered him a salary for, for coming back. <laughs> so then the person, <laughs> the person came back and it was paid for being the asshole in the community. <laughs> <coughs> and then I remember Lama Sopa saying, you know, the wonderful thing in, the, in an FPLT center is that you always meet your enemy. And it's part of the membership fee. You don't need to pay extra. <laughs> There is this rumor that uh, he has this list of really obnoxious people, <laughs> which he then makes the directors of the different FPT centers. I don't think it's true, but. Uh, <laughs> 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 but if 
she's unfortunately, unfortunately unable to see her own, her own part in things. Mm. And it's really, I've been working with her for 14 years and I'm stunned by how, how she is, even when she gets the opportunity, she can't see her own, and she's a big inspiration for me. <laughs> Because uh, because uh, it's easier. I, I think of her a lot. Mm. She's really an inspiration. Yeah. Mm. Also it's inspiration. Keep on working yeah. with it. Yes. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yes. Mm. Then uh, there is one point here I think it's uh, good to become aware of. Um, so the first, no, let's see what, how do we do this now? Yeah, so maybe we, we start really more um, more the way it is traditional, traditionally presented. Uh, and that would be to start to talk about the three kinds of patients. So that, that we increase our awareness what what is being understood when uh, in this text they talk about patients. So the three kinds of patients. The first one is to reframe our attitude towards discomfort. So here that patience, and this is something we, you train a lot in meditation. Yeah? You increase, through meditation, you increase your tolerance towards discomfort. And uh, this tolerance to, towards dif discomfort is not endurance, like grinding your teeth. So the, 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 the tolerance towards the discomfort is uh, finding that spacious place between acting out and suppressing. There is, a, there is a possibility to find a spacious place between the extremes of acting out and suppressing. And, and that that, of course, then is a space which is 
available to us also then when we work with anger. Yeah? So how do how, how do you find what is that space between acting out and suppressing? One part of it, it was already said, is the recognition of the non-static, impermanent nature of the experience. This too shall pass. So that is like a kind of long-term impermanence, but also the recognition it's changing and moving and vibrating right in the moment already. Another part of this is that you take it serious, but you don't take it personal. So there is a there is a there is more a recognition of the emptiness of the eye. It's not a big deal because it's not personal. It's not happening to me, to the I, because the I does not exist. it needs to I, I mean there needs to be a recognition of the insubstantiality of the experience which is like the impermanence is like the kind of first step of that you know but then one can even go deeper and see the insubstantiality of the you know, it's a recognition that Within the, within the experience there is space, there is already space, within the experience. Nothing really happens. I mean, yes, there is, a, there is something happen, 
Something is happening, but not really. Something is happening, but not really. You don't know what I mean. <laughs> no. No? No, no, no I, yeah, but I'm I talking to you. Because you, you made this face. Of <laughs> um, it has to do with this. Uh, um, no, when we meditated this morning, I instructed uh, how everything is an appearance in our mind, <coughs> and this movement of consciousness, and is empty. So that which seems to be so unbearable, so not, so not. It seems to be so heavy, so real, so dense, so <clears throat> so like unbearable. I mean, like just you can't you can't hold it for one millisecond more because it's too much. That thing is empty. That thing is spacious itself. That thing is space itself. But the tricky thing is that if the body is activated from this thought. Then the hormones start to, uh, like uh, stress hormones, and this is very uh, <coughs> painful. And mm. it takes uh, a while before they are reduced. Mm. So it's about to stand this period if it is activated. Yeah. Uh, that's to connect with the body, and uh, because that is why we want to run away. Mm -hmm. Yes. So now I try to explain how you can stay in that moment. Mm -hmm. Because it seems to be so unbearable to stay in that moment. Yes. So I was uh, reading a book on uh, from Thich Nhat Hanh on anger, mm. and he talks it like a metaphor is about uh, when you get angry, see it as your uh, your child is screaming, mm. and rather you don't. The first thing you do as a mother or a father, you don't run away from the child. You go back and you take care and nurture your child. Mm -hmm. So I think that helps uh, me to be. Mm to go back and care mm -hmm. for that mm. emotion and be with it instead. Yeah. I wanted to come to that point. Yeah. The the, the aspect of 
uh, yeah, the compassionate gaze, uh, the mm. kindness, uh, uh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. For, for me, it's quite complicated to see like um, uh, what happens and uh, put the space in that. I, I see it more like um, uh, being in that space uh, helps me not to take what happens so seriously. Maybe that's a step further to be in the situation and see the space and the situation. I can do that. Mm-hmm. You connect the spaciousness in me for now. Yeah, it's all in you. Yeah. Mm. <coughs> yeah, maybe that's yeah. just my personal way of it, it putting it. Yeah. yeah. Mm, yes. Mm. I had the thought when you said uh, that thing which is unbearable is empty from the logical point of view is uh, uh, softening. But if you like, uh, Awake in the night and uh, have bad feelings and fear and mm-hmm. in the guts mm-hmm. you can't uh, um, relax. If you try to relax, and it uh, gets worse. And you, you try to be uh-huh. with the feeling, yeah, and it even gets worse. Uh-huh. So this is a situation where I don't know mm. to go on. Why? Why does it get worse? I don't know. No. Sometimes. Sometimes. So the it gets. The uh, way it helps in, um, in the so the balance. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So sometimes your experience is that when you pay attention to it, that it gets worse. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um. So in this example, uh, uh, also with cro- it could one could take chronic pain also here as an example. Uh, it's trying to find a balance between reconnecting with resources, reconnecting with that which is not afraid in the body, for example, reconnecting with your refuge. Like that's what you usually do in practices like that. As a Buddhist practitioner, you take refuge, so you connect with that which is already whole. You connect with your inspiration, 
and uh, and then w- once you have more firmly established yourself in your resource you turn to that which is difficult mm-hmm. but you do you do it in a way that it does not overwhelm you so it could be like just a bit of a peaking and then you return to that is of course um, that, that is of course also not easy to do because if the fear is so overwhelming then it fills out the whole the whole space of your experience so then to tell you oh let's you know let's um, reconnect with the resource so like with a part of my body which is not afraid I'm not saying this is easy but um, um, that's um, that's that's the direction I would uh, I would try to uh, go but also sometimes the only thing you can do is to suffer to suffer no sometimes you just you know you you, you it's just like I don't know what, what's happening I don't know what this is good for I Uh, it's just horrible nothing works I can't take refuge Mm. I can't do a body scan I I just I'm just lying here and take me and I I trust the process this is this is my practice this is how my life is just now (coughs) and that's it just accept it yeah it's just like uh, it's just like open you know you you just mm. you just kind of give up mm. yeah you give up just give up mm. I mean I give up it's too much I, I just because at one point it will change it, uh, it will yes sure I'm not saying that just now but oh. <laughs> <laughs> sorry sorry <laughs> <laughs> because then it becomes a method uh, to uh, yeah and I, this is like this is a moment where all method is going down the drain sometimes like to apply a method makes it worse Mm. because you know you you want to then you feel like oh it's not working and I need to try (coughs) harder accept 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 I can't accept it yeah so uh, sometimes sometimes applying a method becomes something we add and which adds to the turmoil instead of Mm. So then if you just give up, just give up.
course, then, if there's some space, you could ask who is giving up. Okay, so let's um, have a break. So the three types of patients, the first one uh, increasing our tolerance towards discomfort, the second increasing our tolerance towards hurt from others. Increasing our tolerance towards hurt from others. So it's connected, of course, with the first step because if you are more tolerant towards discomfort, then that helps you also to be more tolerant with the hurt of others. But it's slightly like, yeah, it's, it's really like the practice of seeing people, difficult people as treasures, as precious treasures. <coughs> and the third kind of patience is uh, the endurance of practice. So, not giving up in practice, coming back to practice. So that's the three kind of patients which are uh, included in in the word patience in the teachings: the tolerance towards discomfort, the tolerance towards the hurt of others, and the endurance and practice. talk about a, a, a bit this uh, about this we can talk about uh, when we go to the joyous effort yeah. um, so let's talk a bit more about methods to work with anger And um, I, uh, I, I kind of made four ca categories of, uh, yeah, I made four categories of uh, the different methods working with anger uh, within the Tibetan tradition. <coughs> I think they are quite uh, uh, bringing all these methods together. And we can't go into much details because um, there's not enough time, but uh, you will recognize the different methods. So the four, four different uh, approaches to work with anger. So the first category is mindfulness, the practice of mindfulness. And here I would... Uh, take as an example the RAIN model. Yeah? 
I've mentioned that and maybe you have read or listened to some teachings about it. So if um, so, the RAIN model, the, the each of these letters uh, stands for a certain aspect of mindfulness practice. So the, the, the R stands for recognition, so that is getting to know, familiarize yourself with particular the somatic aspect of when you get angry, starting to notice it, being really in touch with um, your body, noticing when the contraction starts. So that's the recognition, the recognition and the slowing down then. Then the acceptance, yeah, the A, the A. The acceptance, the acceptance or allowing. Ah, this is how I feel just now. <coughs> it's okay to be angry. I'm allowed to be angry. And then the I is the investigation. So that's the vipassana. I don't know, yesterday or on Friday I said, vipassana, vipassana, vipassana. You look deeply, what is it? And what, what are you looking into is the emotion itself, not finding it, the person you are angry about, not finding her, and the person who is going to, uh, who is about to get angry, or who is already angry, and not finding that. So you investigate into the three. There's a certain word for it. I don't know what that is, but the three aspect of this event: the anger itself, the person, the thing you are angry about, and the person who's angry. And I assure you. When you look deeply into either of these things, you're not going to find. That does not mean that it does not exist. Not going to find means you don't find it as a separate, real, solid thing. Serious thing. And the end is then enlightenment. Mm. <laughs> no, the, end is, the end is non-identification. And it's like something which you don't do, but something which results from the third step. So the non-identification, that would be this gap. Yeah. So uh, Ken McLeod is not um, 
using the RAIN model, but uh, this could be like seen as a description of um, the last step. Yeah? And it's in the end of the, his commentary on the, on, on the patience, uh, patience first. What is that stillness, that space in which reactions arise and disappear? What is that stillness, that space in which reactions arise and disappear? So you look into, for example, oh, who is angry? And then there is that gap, that pause. The conceptual mind comes to a still stand because you are not finding that person who is angry. So there is that gap, that, 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 like that moment you know, we, which we have been pointing to. So that stillness, that space in which reaction arise and disappear, what is that? Now it comes again. When you look at it, you see nothing at all. It is a bit frightening. It's a bit frightening. It's like it's a it's a it's a moment. You no, know, this moment will be forced upon you at the end of the death process. That's why we freak out in the death process. So this gap will be completely. Now we can you know we 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 we, we approach that in a careful way in our meditation. But in the death process, you don't have choice. This process will be being. This process will be forced upon you. And in the end, there is the gap. It's a long gap. So maybe you have heard the, mm, that some masters said they are able to, uh, at the, you know, when the breathing ceases, they are able to remain uh, in the... Uh, it, in a in a meditative state for like three four days without decomposing, so clin clinically they are dead, dead, but they are not rotting, yeah, and they still are kind of radiant a bit. Like you can see that they are not dead dead; they are just dead. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a normal person starts to stink after a few a few hours in India. Actually, in India, it takes just a few hours before a corpse starts to stink. So that is uh, that person uh, would be someone who is able to stay in that gap and not freak out. So. When you look at it, you see nothing at all. It's a bit frightening. It is like looking into the void of outer space. It's like looking into the void. Something in you shrinks back. Something in you shrinks back. 
it's it's nice. I mean, it's great because he is really talking from experience, and that's how it feels. It's like uh, it's like. Or you can feel how how the ego or the the the, the eye is like kind of it's like it shrinks back. It's too big. You know, this void is too big. It's like groundlessness. It's like so. Then then the, the then the reaction which then in the death process will trigger the process of karma ripening and then the next rebirth. That shrinking back. That contraction. This is the other this is the other level of patience letting your reactions letting your reaction letting your reactions to that infinite nothingness come and go letting your reactions to that infinite nothingness infinite nothingness letting your reaction to that infinite nothingness come and go So this is like <coughs> realizing I am the sky and being able to let go into that, into the infinite, into the eternal, letting go into that and letting the clouds come and go. So that would be more metaphor metaphorical to, to express the same thing. to make that shift, that shift of identity from the content of your experience to the context of your experience, from the clouds to the sky. And then letting your reactions come and go, letting the clouds come and go. This is what is called awakening in the Buddhist tradition, that shift. I'm not the content of my experience. And that which is looking can can you see that you can't be the content of your experience because you are the one you know it's like I mean you are aware of the content of your experience you can't be it because you are that which is aware you are that which is looking like yeah. <laughs> can't say it differently. <laughs> there's two things there. There is someone who is looking and then there's fear. So, And you are the one who is looking. You are not the fear. You can't be it because, because you are the one who is looking. <laughs> That's how it is. <laughs> Yeah. It brings me to, to make a, what you call a spiritual bypassing. 
and not mm. skipping to feel the fear. Mm, mm. Yeah. It's really uh, yeah. because I I have to mm. admit that I'm really scared yeah. of letting go. Yeah. And, um, because it's about letting go of all that I've learned in my life. <laughs> I had in a way because the way I've been living and relating to the world I really keep grasping that there is a self that I exist mm -hmm. in a real way mm -hmm. uh, yeah mm. I, I'm not sure if you also said that but um, there is that kind of trap of using this in a premature way to disidentify as disassociate from your experience and that, so um, so now no there's two true two things which are saying the opposite which are bo both uh, which are both true one is to say i'm not the content of my experience it's true to say that but it's also true I'm all of it so if you don't want to say I'm not the content of my experience because I am my fear yes then say yes I am the content of my experience and I'm all of it So both uh, both sentences they actually describe the same awakening experience, yeah. the same experience of oneness. Saying, "I'm not the content of my experience; I'm much bigger," or "I am the content of my experience, all of it. It's all me." Both describe the awakening experience. Think about it. Any questions? You have a question? Do you need some time or? No, no I okay. just realized that the answer is in your talks. Uh-huh, yeah. Kind of. In my talk just now. Yes. Uh-huh, okay. Mm -hmm. You can ask the question anyway. Yeah. Um, when you are at a retreat, yeah. um, it can be overwhelming that some person feeling that feeling, that feeling, that feeling, yeah. just, okay, and that feeling comes into me, mm. and just, mm. picking out the feelings and just absorb and just, okay, which one can I take away? 
experience is that you pick up feelings of the people around you yeah. and then sometimes you wonder what is my feeling does it come from the others uh, how do I protect myself or am I supposed to feel all that mm. yeah And do you feel it's not it's not okay to go into your room and to, to protect yourself and take time off? Do you feel do you feel that's that's a wrong thing to do or yes? Or is there also the wish to actually that you want to stay? That then if you go to your room that you feel alone? Mm -hmm. So when you go to your room because it's too much, how do you feel then? Better for a little bit. Better? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I always would first to I would always uh, first emphasize: don't stay in in situation and in places where you feel overwhelmed, where where, where you feel it's too much. <coughs> I can't I can't work with that. Then it is always good to to um, to honor your needs and what you what you need as a person 
um, and to take that space. It's a kind of it, that's where compassion starts. It's it's like starting uh, with self-compassion, taking taking and, and accepting and accepting. Uh, um, you know, some people some people need more space for themselves. You know, they are more introvert. They are more shy, and uh, and 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 that's that's fine. That's completely fine and for some people you know some people they flourish when they are with other people they they really like it for them it's relaxing I don't understand that but that's the majority <laughs> the, the majority the majority of people and it's really hard to understand for my side the majority of people can relax the best when they are with other people and and then the minority who can't do that feels, oh, something is wrong with me. To be with other people for me is always work. <laughs> if I want to relax, I need to be on my own. So it has to do with like just accepting. And of course, then in the journey of your life, you might want to increase your capacity a bit to be with others, like you train that muscle, but I mean at one point I mean it's kind of okay, now I have done that, so now I do <laughs> now I follow my my needs. Yeah? So I have done my work, but it's so tiring still, so I just mm -hmm. accept. Um, then there's another uh, part of that because it is also a resource uh, to be uh, to be able to become aware of feelings of others like as you know, if you want to uh, if you help people you know? mm -hmm. it's like um, uh, when you talk with someone and, uh, and and you become aware of of a feeling like and you feel like oh this is hmm. I, I suddenly I feel afraid and, and I, I don't I can't really explain because I, I wasn't afraid before and it seems that I pick something up from the other person so that can be like a it's like a wisdom uh, so it's like a wisdom and then then you could one could uh, Sometimes it's possible to um, even speak it out, like so. Even if the person appears to be happy, uh, or pretends to be happy, maybe, maybe then this could be used for. You could use this as a kind of information, and maybe it would help. It could help that person to the other person to um, to open up. Um, if one, if you say something like, like if you dig a bit deeper, if you if you ask, you know, it's, I feel, yeah, it's not always appropriate, but sometimes it is appropriate uh, to to use to use it as a way to connect with the other person on a deeper level at, by asking questions. Like, of course, this, maybe this person says, yeah, yeah, I'm okay, but then you kind of you ask a bit more. Yeah. 
The other person. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah of course. Me. One one can. Uh, I leave yeah. it and then yes. I brought up again. Yeah. And so I leave it and you don't want to help me. No. I'm used to, okay, I'm going, I'm going. Yeah. You can't, uh, you, know, you can't force your help upon other people. No. It's like you offer it, but then if it's not accepted, then it's good. You let go. And then, in a way, like in a retreat, when you sit in the retreat and you pick up feelings, in a way, uh, it doesn't matter so much if it's something you pick up from the other person or if it's coming from you, because the work needs to be done anyway the work of relating to that feeling. Which means, yeah, you are aware, you notice it in the body, maybe you don't know, is it coming from my past, is it coming from a night's dream, or is it coming from my neighbor? Actually, it doesn't matter so much, because the instructions are the same. Air, R, I, N. Recognize, accept, investigate, non-identification. So you include that. It's just material arising within your meditation. Uh, unless, of course, as I said in the beginning of my answer, unless it becomes overwhelming. So, like, then this is not meditation. It's not meditation to be overwhelmed of, of an experience. So then it is more important to uh, to reconnect with the resource, take a distance, take yourself out of the situation. If a situation overwhelms you, then then you need to take care of yourself first. It is, there is something um, when you when you are in contact with another person and you feel let's say it's a fear and you because you you kind of you you know yourself and you have worked upon yourself you really have a strong sense no this is not this is not my fear it's something I pick up from the other person has a bit of it needs to, uh, it needs to have a certain kind of self knowledge to be able to do that but it's possible not like 100% but there can be a sense uh, so even in the case that the person would continue to deny you know like that so she would say no no everything is okay and i don't want to talk uh, still you can give this person a very you can give this person a gift by taking care of that feeling on your part, on your side. So you can you can help that person. You can that help that person's fear by addressing the fear you feel on your side. Because in the same way you pick up the feeling of the other person, the fear. Of course, the other way around is also true. The person, even if it's not a very sensitive person, 
it still picks up. It's just not aware, but it still picks up. It's, it's maybe not coming to the consciousness of that person, but it still knows how you feel. So when you take care of the fear on your side, that will also affect that person, or it could affect that person. So in that way, you could make this more, this this uh, you could make that that capacity of being really aware. I mean, consciously aware. You are aware of how the person feels anyway, but consciously aware how how the other person feels. You can use that capacity to give that person a gift without that person knowing. So if, if, you, if you feel fear and it's not your fear, you picked up the person of the fear and you freak out with the fear and you reject it and <laughs> where does this fear come from? It, then you do the opposite. Then, then two, two mammals uh, come into panic. Yeah, <laughs> you know, mammals, the, the the category of animals we belong to, they get into panic. Uh, yes, so thank you. Was a good question. Any other? Comment or I come to think of uh, like this protector practices. Mm -hmm. Could you say something about it because mm -hmm. they exist? <laughs> the protector practices. Yeah, as mm -hmm. you say, like protecting. Ah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I see so what you're doing. Yeah. Yes. So uh, the, yes. You feel like you want to be. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that. Be seen. Yeah, yeah. So that could be uh, like a. Uh, that could be part of the creating boundaries and uh, you know creating a protective space um, uh, to imagine a powerful friend, which you know which is like it could be the protectors. Uh, <coughs> so why sitting there? You know, <coughs> there's di different ways. I mean. In the in the tantric protector traditions, which are quite important in the sadhanas and the tantric sadhanas, many of the long sadhanas they start with the protecting practices, really creating a, a safe place for you by imagining, for example, a fence of rajas around you, and you put uh, guardians into the four directions, um, so to create a to create a really safe space for you. So that you can dare to go into the nothing. So you feel safe to do that. So um, that's something. Um, you know, if um, within the tantric practice, through through visualizations, through imagination, like you imagine like a protective light around you, uh, you imagine a being, or if you have the initiation, you imagine yourself as the protector with weapons and fire, surrounded by fire, like the wrathful, the wrathful deities. But you could also imagine His Holiness standing behind you, 
Yeah, to do to do these practices, you need to have the initiations. But what I now said that's something you can do. I mean, like to imagine a bunch of fans around you, or like a um, like a like a soap bubble which is made out of many, many, many rajas, rajas, you know, like the or you know just light. Yeah, so that's something that's something you can do, or you can imagine. Uh, uh, a deity like Tara or um, uh, Shenrezig or so that's practices one can do but to really do the uh, the protector practice as they are done in the highest yoga tantra you need to have the initiations to do that <laughs>